Welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast, the latest on citrus research from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network. I'm here with Michael Rogers, the director of the Citrus Research and Education Center in Lake Alford. Michael, we were at the Florida Citrus Growers Institute here just yesterday, uh, and it was good seeing you in person. It was good seeing all the growers in person. Uh, uh, that, that program had been sidelined, I believe, for two years because of COVID, so it was great to get everybody back together. Uh, just to get us started, just tell us about your impressions of the event. It seemed like it was a good turnout there. Yeah, and uh, thanks, Frank. And I, I agree. The meeting was uh, well attended. Um, you know, it, it has been a couple of years in, uh, since we've been in person for the Citrus Institute that's put on by the uh, Florida Citrus Extension agents. Um, so this is the first year in a couple of years. I think they've done some virtual meetings in the past. But, uh, but this year we had about, I think they told me it was about 230 people uh, registered for this meeting. Um, and, it, and there was a lot of growers there I haven't seen in a while. And I know it was good to, to see everybody back in person and uh and have that interaction so uh i think the meeting went well um well again well attended and we're looking forward to seeing more of those those meetings happening as the year progresses great and i know one of the i thought interesting presentations was the talk that you gave at the institute and it kind of outlined some uh short-term research projects and some focused there are four categories that, that the university is focused on Tell us a little bit more about the reasoning behind that approach, and maybe let's jump into a little detail of each of those four categories. Yeah, okay. And in, in the background, uh, the reason I gave the presentation is, is I wanted folks to recognize and, and you know and think that or understand that at IFAS we're we're not um, oblivious to the fact that you know growers are having a very difficult time right now. <clears throat> time is not on their side. And we need to be doing research, focusing a lot of our efforts on things that are going to deliver um, tools for the growers to use in the short term. So uh, I, I was focusing on some of the, the areas that we, how we're making our decisions for funding research projects in IFAS. Um, and a lot of the decision making that's happening, whether it's grant proposals that come from agencies like USDA or, or CRDF, for example, and, and also grants that we're funding internally in IFAS. Um, we're getting a lot of our guidance uh, from larger groups that get together and talk about what the priorities should be. Um, sometimes those, those groups, uh, we always talk to growers and we want to know what growers in Florida think. But one of the things I mentioned um, in, in that presentation was an event that happened back in, in, the, in the fall of 2019. It was actually in December of 2019 in Washington, D.C., where um, the USDA NEFA um, and the uh, the Florida or the I'm sorry the USDA Foundation for Food and Agricultural Research or FFAR uh, hosted a meeting and they invited about a little over 50 people from around the country. These are researchers, uh, funding agencies, um, government officials, regulators, and also some citrus growers from around the country to come up with um, recommendations on how we should be focusing the funding that that's out there. Uh, to address HLB over the next five years. And so what I did is I talked about what some of the outcomes of that meeting were, that were, what those top four priorities are, and how that relates to the agenda in IFAS uh, for the research that we're going right now. 
Very good. And and just talk briefly about those four categories that that you know those things are broken mm-hmm. out into. Okay, yeah, so the uh, the the four uh, top four short term solutions that they they called it um, out of that meeting. Uh, the the first short term priority is understanding the flow and biology. The second one was uh, testing uh, potential therapeutic products and the delivery mechanisms. Uh, third was maintaining uh, the health of HLB infected trees, and fourth was uh, you know about nutrition and how best to fertilize. And, and keep those trees well fed so they can fend off uh, HLB disease. So uh, just kind of going through each of those individually, um, and, and the first one talking about understanding flow and biology, um, of, of those four top priorities, you know, the, the understanding the flow and biology may sound to a grower a lot more like basic science, and, and you think, well, what, what's the value to that um, in the short term? And, and the reason is that a lot of the things like, you know, the therapeutics that might be developed or other things rely on, de- you know, a delivery through the phloem system of the plant. And one of the things that we still need to improve our knowledge of is, is, is the biology, the phloem biology of citrus. And, and the, all the experts agree that that is an area where we could make some improvements. And just an improvement in that basic science area would have a big payoff and helping us with our other objectives. And so that's one of the, the uh, areas that, that is focused on. And, um, and as I, I was kind of going through the four priorities in IFAS, you know, we have six projects right now that are funded uh, working on topics related to that flow and biology. And a couple of those actually were, you know, really recently funded projects um, from the USDA that, was, that were a result of, of the outcome of these meetings um, in Washington, D.C. in 2019. So there was actually some, at least one large project funded by the USDA this past year, uh, specifically on flow and biology. They went to one of our researchers here in Lake Alfred. Um, the second priority had to do with therapeutics and delivery methods. And, and this has been an area I think a lot, people uh, throughout our industry have heard a lot about. Um, the CRDF has put a lot of uh, effort into investigating things like you know, some antibiotics, like anti- or oxytetracycline and other other compounds and so in the, you know if we find one that works you know that that's a, a great short term or near term delivery tool uh something that can provide benefit in the short term uh while we develop these more longer term solutions to HLB so uh that's that's one of the areas that that we're focusing on and IPAS has 13 different funded projects um under that category right now um Looking here, the uh, the next area that we're working on, uh, priority number three, uh, maintaining the health of infected trees. I think everybody would agree that's something we need to be doing a good job with because all of our trees in our citrus groves around the state are infected with HLB right now. So what can we do? What tools do we have or practices can we adopt or implement that will improve the health of the trees that we have right now, make them more productive, so we can continue to stay in business again until you know those solutions are developed later on down the road. And uh, in IPAS right now, we have uh, about 21 different projects that are funded uh, working on that priority uh, from the, the meeting. Uh, these are things like uh, the gibberellic acid products. You know, how do we use those to maintain the health of the trees? It could be something even um, a little more uh, distant to HLB, but still affecting the success of our HLB programs like root health and you know nematodes. Uh, how, how how important is nematode management, sting nematodes, other nematodes, in maintaining the healthy root system, which impacts the health of overall health of HLB infected trees? So 
there's a, a wide variety of different things that are being looked at, um, again, uh, in IPIS to help maintain the health of infected trees. And then the last priority that I've got here, priority number four, <clears throat> this is kind of similar to priority number three, uh, nutrition, you know, how best to fertilize, feed those trees, and keep them productive. Um, the reason this isn't, doesn't fall under the one about maintaining the health of infected trees was the group recognized the importance of nutrition uh, as a part of an overall HLB management program. If we don't have the right nutrition being delivered to the trees, they're not going to be productive because HLB really has an, those things out of balance in the tree. And so the, the FFAR group agreed that you know, nutrition needed to be separated out as a priority just to ensure that funding was being addressed uh, to the nutrition issues that we have. And so within IPIS, uh, we also have about 13 funded projects uh, working on nutrition and delivery mechanisms there as well. So if you look at the, the overall those four research priorities um, that came out of that meeting, IPIS right now uh, has about 53 funded projects uh, that encompass those four uh, priority research areas, the short-term research areas. So that's more than half our, our research portfolio right now is focused on things that would deliver short-term tools for growers to use uh, right now to help try to stay in business. Great. And I know growers are anxious for any of those solutions that come along short-term, but as you mentioned, that's about half. So there's a lot of other research that's going on within the university for those longer-term, maybe more permanent solutions down the road. Just briefly speak to that. Yeah, so um, there's a lot of other work going on that's that does, falls out outside of those four topic areas. Um, and I think we've heard a lot about, you know, the work that's going on to develop new citrus varieties, um, variety improvement. We have a, lot, a number of projects there through, you know, the conventional breeding program. But also genetic improvement, whether it's using um, transgenics or GMOs, developing those, or uh, more recently, the, the new technology is gene editing, where you identify the genes that are responsible for disease, um, take those out of the citrus or, or, or silence them somehow, so you have a tree that's, that no longer shows disease symptoms in response to that pathogen. Um, also, psyllid management. There's still work on psyllid management. Not so much as we were in the past on spraying insecticides, but other ways to, to reduce, keep silt populations low in a more sustainable way that's cost-effective because we can't continue to spend money spraying insecticides to control silids. There is some value in continuing to control silids. And uh, so you know, we've continued, we have work on that as well. And, again, there's many other topics out there that, that our faculty are working on. I think, I think overall across IPIS at our, at our REC throughout the state, we have about 43 different um, other, I would call it, you know, medium and long-term projects that are going on related to HLB. And so, again, I think we've, we've got a really good balance in both short-term and long-term research projects in IPIS. Again, with the majority of our, our effort focused on those short-term deliverables, uh, for the for our industry because it's a tough time we recognize that and we want to be as responsive as we possibly can well very good 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 getting that background of all the projects going on and with that michael we'll wrap it up again it was good seeing you and good seeing all the growers at the uh conference uh there in uh avon park and we'll look forward to it again next year and future events coming appreciate it all right thank you frank we're here at the Citrus Research and Education Center in Lake Alfred. 
Um, joined today with two guests, uh, Stephen Callahan, the Executive Vice President of the Dundee Citrus Growers Association, and Dr. Arnold Schumann. And we're going to be talking about cups and that citrus under protective screen. Dr. Schumann has done a lot of research on this area and, and has collaborated with uh, Stephen and Dundee Citrus Growers Association and their own cups project. So welcome to you both and glad you're here to join us. Thank, Thank you. Aaron. Dr. Schumann, we'll start with you. Uh, just give us a little background on when you started your cups research and what made you interested in the topic. Okay, uh, so greening obviously was the uh, turning point that made us consider cups. Um, so prior to that, there were very successful uh, transitions of citrus nursery um, uh, companies to screen houses. And uh, the purpose of those was to have canker-free uh, trees. And that was really uh, early 2000s when um, canker became, or came back to Florida, had been here before. So they, it became mandatory, I think, even to, to put them all under cover instead of outdoor nurseries. So, so that, that was successful. That, that kept out the canker and a whole lot of other pests and, and things too. And the environment was also conducive to rapid growth. So I kind of knew about those things. And then it just, um, as luck may have it, uh, had a trip to California and saw uh, a very large undercover citrus operation, 80,000 trees and 40 acres, very high density. All W Mercart, um, and it wasn't for for canker or for uh, HLB or, or psyllid um, exclusion. Of course, they didn't have it at the time. This was 2013 February, and uh, beautiful trees are being grown under shade cloth. So for other reasons, is to prevent them from the uh, extreme heat in their dry summers. Um, but all grown hydroponically in containers. Uh, that's where. We started testing things in containers, which is kind of unusual and uh, was worth investigating. But but the concept kind of I joined, you know, in my mind the one to one with the other. Basically, he had a, he had a structure that could have supported uh, that grow in California, could have supported a screen uh, uh, that excludes psyllids. So took that idea, merged it with the idea that uh, nursery growers were already successfully using here with that psyllid proof screen, and that evolved into the cups idea. So. It was taking growing only nursery trees of citrus and screen and taking it into growing mature trees that can produce fruit properly. Good deal. And you, you built that stru first structure in? 2014, of, uh, June of 2014 is when ours was complete. And we started planting in July and August. Um, uh, the, it was preceded by one in uh, Indian River Research Center. By, uh, at the time, Barrett Gruber was leading that. He, he, he completed his cups in 2013, but we both went to California on that trip, which was uh, the catalyst for, for the idea. Kind of planted the yeah. seed. Yeah. Stephen, when did, you, when did this concept catch your eye and uh, um, other growers at the Dundee Citrus Growers Association? And so actually one of our grower members was um, uh, very intrigued by the cups concept. Uh, he began following Dr. Schumann's work in late 2014. He encouraged me to take a deeper dive and, and really uh, do some research on it. So you know, both of us began closely following the research of Dr. Schumann, doing our own research and 
that's really what uh, what led to it. Very good. Uh, Arnold, you have had the project going for a number of years now. Are some of the assumptions you had going into this research uh, proving to be true? Just talk a little bit about that. Yes, I'll highlight the main ones. Um, the, the, the fundamental one was, of, of course, to exclude the, the Asian citrus psyllid and the disease, the HLB that it carries. Uh, and that's been largely successful. Um, like most systems, it's not 100%, but it's as close as, as we wanted. It's, um, I, I just checked this morning. We have 0.46% um, HLB after seven years, seven and a half years in our cups. Whereas outdoor grown trees would have 100% in, a, in the first year. So, so it's, it's been very successful with that. Despite um, Hurricane Irma in 2017, right midstream, and also having to re rescreen the cups. But, uh, you know, even without opening it up for rescreening, there are other opportunities for some solids to, to get into the cups. But that, that's a fundamental, I think, main goal, which was successful. There's a, there's a bunch of others. Uh, because of the cost of a greenhouse being higher than conventional citrus, of course, it has to pay back with good yields and uh, good quality fruit. That's also been mostly successful. Um, the, our highest, which is kind of, it's not a, a mainstream practice, you know, these trees are in pots and they're very high density, but, but just to give you an idea of how high you can push them, we produce 6,000 boxes in seven years out of um, Ray Ruby grapefruit on X639 rootstock at 1,300 trees per acre. I mean, if, you, if people want to do that, they can push it to the extreme limit. But even our more mainstream, um, it's still high density, 871 trees per acre, we've been getting uh, in about, uh, about 800 boxes average per acre per year, um, starting as early as the second year with full production. Wow. So uh, I forget what the total of that is, but our, our highest total is 6,000 boxes in seven years. So, so, so the point is to get to the break even. That was one of the major goals. Like I said, it's all about the cost of the production system, uh, especially the, the upfront costs. Unlike conventional production systems, which have annual costs that are quite high, this has an e extreme um, upfront cost that, that needs to be taken care of. So, so the revenue generated out of that example, out of our highest, there is it's about $105,000 in seven years, all the way counting from year one, um, at a price of $20 per box and a pack out of 90%. Those were the assumptions. Now, that's conservative because we've been regularly, on, on most years, been able to exceed that. We've been up to 100% pack out. Last, this season, currently finished, we've been at 97% pack out. Compared to outdoor, grapefruit would be 50% or less. So that's a big factor. The quality is also better. We get very good sizes. We get 27, 32, 36 in that range, the sweet spot. Uh, to give you a number, what we got this year, we got 60% of our grapefruits were packed in that sweet spot range, which fetches the highest prices. So so, so those are major goals, I think, which, which are in support of um, our original hypotheses and, and expectations for that. Um, although I do remember a clear one, which I, I still hope to fulfill is we said it's a 10-year it's plan, you know, especially in containers. So we still have those, those trees, those grapefruit trees with a very high production are still in their containers after seven and a half years. And I'd like to see them through to the 10th year because by then they would have far exceeded the cost of you know uh, establishment uh, upfront costs and everything. In other words, reach their break break even point. I, I think by year sixty seven, 
And that was our original projections look like. But of course, things changed. It's a dynamic, you know, prices of everything has changed. Look at it now. Even before that, prices are not static, uh, both of fruit or building materials, uh, labor. Uh, so, you know, we can't have a crystal ball, but I'm confident that it's heading in the right direction. Very good. And, and what you can say is that production has been consistent. You know, oh, yes. you're taking yeah. the other variables out. You've seen yeah. consistency in that production over time. Yeah. And especially with grapefruit, they're real solid producers. They don't have alternate bearing that, that we've ever detected. It's, it's every year they produce a good crop. Yeah. Great. Uh, Stephen, from a grower standpoint, did the research that Dr. Schumann was doing here at Seawork C-REC give you confidence in trying cups in Florida? Absolutely. Without the research that Dr. Schumann did and continues to do, we wouldn't have attempted to uh, try to take this to a commercial scale. Good deal. So yeah, you stay in contact pretty regularly, even, even today, right? On a regular basis. Very good. Very good. Well, uh, Stephen, give us a give us an update where the Dundee Cups project stands now in terms of construction and acreage, and also how are the trees performing under the screen at your at your facility? Yeah, so currently we have 450 acres of cups in the Dundee Citrus Growers Association membership, and um, majority of that is all planted at this time, and then we have a, a 500 acre uh, project that's right now in the planning stages and we uh, we're, we're planning on breaking ground very very soon on that project so uh, that'll that'll get us up to about 950 acres under screen um, within the next three years wow so that that is a got to be the certainly the largest in Florida and most likely the u.s it is yeah it is and and the trees you asked them they look amazing the, the trees are, are, I would say, exceeding our expectations, uh, very, very uh, healthy, very, very productive. And, um, uh, you know, what we've learned over the past few years has given us the, you know, the confidence to be able to, um, you know, move forward with uh, expansion of our, of our CUPS projects. Very good. So that production inside versus outside, there's just no comparison. There's no comparison. You go back to a lot of the basics. You have a, a healthy tree. Healthy trees can be very, very productive. And it's not just the productivity. It's like Dr. Schumann said, it's the quality of the fruit. It's the um, sweet spot, the sizing of the fruit. Those are the things that lead to those extraordinary returns. And of course, this what got this all started was excluding the psyllid. Have you, in your structures, have you found a psyllid yet? No. That's impressive. Yeah, that's impressive. Uh, Dr. Schumann, you mentioned getting to the 10-year mark with the research or in the pots. Uh, what are some of your next research goals when it comes to cups? Okay, yes. So to just reemphasize, we do want to continue with uh, longevity of the original plantings. But um, the evolution we've seen in the seven years we've already run it is the need for better integrated pest management. So that's something relatively new, not that we, you know, we haven't been looking at it all the time. Um, the main pests being um, rust mites, the most de damaging uh, pest, um, followed by the uh, fungal diseases, the um, scab, uh, 
greasy spot and melanose are plaguing us the most. So, so those are old pests and diseases that everybody's always been dealing with, but um, uh, fortunately, you know, no HLB um, to, to speak of. But we, we do need to take those into account because we want perfect looking fruit and the highest uh, quality and the highest prices. So um, I've been looking at recently at uh, large scale, um, cost effective um, biofungicides, integrating those into the system as part, also part of as a, as a regenerative agriculture concept because uh, they don't, they're not only, so, so the, the biofungicides, first of all, let me explain, they, they basically are um, beneficial microorganisms, bacteria, most of them, um, something like Bacillus subtilis, Bacillus uh, amylo, uh, liquefaciens is another one. Um, those are two examples, and they are natural soil organisms, not genetically modified, but they've been selected for their efficacy in controlling fungal diseases, as well as canker, if, you, if people have a canker problem. So these are commercial products. They're very expensive to use and they're off the shelf. So I am uh, right now experimenting with uh, bioreactors who do generate them on farm and, and I'm trying to secure funding for it also to really accelerate it. But, but there are some real distinct um, uh, additional benefits, especially to the soil, soil health, because you can, apply, you can even directly apply them to the soil. It's not just to the foliage for fungal control. You apply them to the soil, they, they improve uh, the reported um, improvements are increased root growth, uh, uh, fine root growth, especially root hairs even, um, less root diseases, um, a more uh, effective rhizosphere, which is where the, the nutrient and water uptake occurs. So they've, they've recorded improvements on nutrient uptake and water uptake. Um, nutrient uptake right now is a very important thing with the price of fertilizer and shortage of fertilizer, maybe possibly getting worse. So. So having a high efficiency of the health system is, is very important to me. So, so hence the concept of soil health and regenerative agriculture, I think is a good one to pursue, um, at least for the next few years. Great. Well, to wrap it up here, um, I want you both to speak to this about what makes a good researcher grower collaboration. I think this is a great example of one. Um, the university is here, is here as a resource. So, Dr. Schumann, I'll start with you. Just sort of, just sort of start us off here. What makes a good collaboration? Um, I think uh, it's it's really worked for us by just sharing, sharing data, sharing ideas. Uh, completely open anytime. You can phone me up at night. You know, um, not that it's happened, but um, and as an example of sharing the data, we uh, have. Uh, our grapefruit, the main blocks of fruit that we have, grapefruit, uh, uh, ray ruby variety, and the honey mercot tangerine variety. We've had those in enough quantity that we can send them to the Dundee Packing House and have them uh, uh, cleaned, packed, and marketed by them. And they provide us with all the data coming out of the packing house. So we have real-world data at our fingertips to, to get feedback about how we are performing. And then they give us also feedback uh, about what they think about our, our fruit, you know, and, and that's extremely valuable. It's not the hard scientific data and replications. We get that as well. So we, we subsample our plots for our laboratory analyses, which we do concurrent with, with Dundee uh, Packing House doing the, uh, the big bulk amount. So that's in the order of hundreds of boxes. We last year, I think it was 162 boxes of grapefruit. It's been up to nearly 200 boxes 
out of less than an acre, obviously. Yeah, because we, we're pushing out 800 boxes per acre. I think grapefruits are about only a fifth of an acre. And, and, uh, and, and that after subtraction of our samples that we keep in the lab, we measured 162, I think it was this last season, coming, going to the Dundee Packing House. That collaboration I've never seen before and absolutely appreciate how valuable it is. I keep mentioning it to Steve. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, Stephen, what's your perspective on what makes a good collaboration? Yeah. I echo what Dr. Schumann was saying, and we both come from different segments of the industry. Then we share our knowledge and our strengths in our individual segment with one another, and it helps improve the whole whole project from the data that, that we share from packouts, from size distributions, from market desirability of a, of a certain size or a certain uh, variety of fruit. That information helps Dr. Schumann uh, tell us how to produce, you know, that, that particular type of, of fruit. Uh, so it's, uh, it's been very, very good communication uh, on an ongoing basis and very supportive um, of Dr. Schumann um, for us and for our project. And we really, uh, we couldn't do it without him. Well, with that, I think we'll wrap it up. We really appreciate y'all. A great conversation today. Thanks for joining the All In for Citrus podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. Thanks for listening to this month's All In for Citrus podcast from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network.